0: Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Jonah on the run. Speaking of prophets, we're going to be in Jonah today. We finally get a little bit of a respite from this uh, barrage of hard-hitting prophecy of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and we get into a little narrative in the book of Jonah. The problem it is you're trading one problem for another. You may get a little tired of the barrage of prophecy, but if you really study, study Jonah, Jonah was better when I was a kid. It's all about a fish, you know, and a the older I get, the more I look at Jonah, the more I'm thinking, wow, this is a serious book. Talk about a mess up of a prophet. He really, uh, what do we know about Jonah? We know a career-ending, basically, decision that he makes here, and as far as we can tell career-ending, we don't really know. But Jonah actually had a whole different life other than living inside of a fish, but that's all we know about him. And uh, sometimes it's it's, it's uh, instructed to me, at least, maybe not to you, as a person who is built a career in the public eye, if you will, in many ways, of how uh, you can do it l- well for so long and do it wrong one time, and that's all people ever remember about you. So it's it's a scary book in some ways because he messes up big time here. We're in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. If you would like to turn there, this is an inf- information in Jonah, often is a disputed story, uh, considered by some to be, uh, as they say, allegorical. They use these terms, allegorical or non-literal. And what they really are saying is that they believe Jonah is fiction. So if that's your position, that's your position. If you want to know, sorry. I mean, if it offends you, then I guess you picked a bad church to come to because I'm going to shoot straight with you. You think it's allegorical, you think it's fiction. You really do. Because nowhere in the scripture does it allow that. Um, And you've got some problems if you hold to that position, not the least of which is, um, well, consider this. There's a little girl in elementary school. She went in and the teacher was teaching about the ocean, and she was encouraging the kids, and they didn't live in a place like this, maybe Arizona, somewhere where it was dry, and she was telling them, nothing to be afraid of in the ocean, because there's nothing there, she said, that can swallow you, and a little girl raised her hand, she said, yes, sweetie, she says, I was in church last Sunday, and our Sunday school teacher taught a story about a guy named Jonah, and there was a fish that swallowed him, and she said, sweetie, 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 that isn't true, there's no fish that can swallow anybody, and she said, well... I guess when I get to heaven, I'll just have to ask Jonah. And she said, sweetie, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? What if he went to hell? And she was... She said, well, well, I guess you'll have to ask him then, she said. <laughs> wow. I wonder if she got an A. <laughs> you're, uh, truly, you're welcome to take the book, book of Jonah allegorical... Or allegorically, or non-literally, or fictionally, whatever. I'm not trying to offend you per se. I just want you to know where you stand. And it is you are do consider it to be fiction, and you will find yourself in good company in some ways when you hold that position. There's a lot of people who do what I do and have a lot of letters after their name who hold the position that that this is a non-literal story. It's just an allegory. It's a a parable. Jesus told parables that weren't necessarily true. They were just meant to to give a, a specific message. And um, you can hold that position. You'll find yourself in good company in some ways. In other ways, you're going to have, find yourself in really bad company because you're not going to find yourself if you hold the position of a non-literal uh, understanding interpretation of Jonah. You're going to find yourself out of the out of the company of, in particular, Jesus. I started to say me, and I would say, well, that's probably not a bad thing. But you are going to find yourself out of the company of Jesus because Jesus definitely did not hold. You. you say, oh well, because you just assumed Jesus held to the whole Scriptures as literal. Uh, yeah, I do but i know for a fact that he held to jonah as being literal in fact he predicated the most important part of his ministry on the facts of jonah take a look at what he says here he's being asked here in matthew for a sign and he says an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet jonah he must have been a real person right for as jonah Notice it was literally three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. By the way, how long is three days and three nights? It's exactly three days and three nights, right? So anyway, I'm saying that to say the next thing. So will the Son of Man. Who's, who's the Son of Man? I'm talking about himself. So as the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the, in the heart of the earth. Let's reverse engineer this, this, this verse. Jesus says, well, let me, well, let's reverse it this way. Do you believe in Jesus? You don't. You got bigger problems than Jonah. We need to talk about something else. That Jesus is it, and whether we di- we can differ on Jonah in here, and you may not hold to a literal interpretation of Jonah, but we cannot differ on Jesus. We have to agree on Jesus. We can differ on every other issue in the scriptures. And by the way, if you differ with me on most of the scriptures, you're probably not going to teach in our church until the- you get another pastor. They'll let you teach. But I want just so you know, I just have a little bit of control over stuff like that. If you don't hold to a literal interpretation of the scriptures for the most part. Um, you're not going to be in leadership in this church because, because they give me a lot of say here, and I will exercise that. But it doesn't mean you can't come to this church, and it doesn't mean we don't love you. And it doesn't mean you're not in fellowship with us. And it doesn't mean we won't do every last thing we can to help you in your life, and not, not the least of which is help you better understand the Bible. But uh, uh, let me just say, notice Jesus, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus literally died? That he was literally dead for three days and three nights? Do you believe that? By the way, just as an aside, this is not the paid part of the sermon. The unpaid part of the sermon, I'm going to tell you, if you believe he was dead for three days and three nights, you can't have him die on Friday. Do the math. Why do we come up with Friday? Because we're not good at math. Notice what he says, three days and three nights. In the heart of the earliest, you can have Jesus. The latest, you can have Jesus dies on a Thursday and probably a Wednesday to get the math to work. Again, the biblical math. So why have we done that? Because it's traditional that he died on a Friday. Not biblical, traditional. I'll put that in the category of Hallmark theology. We have this theology we got from some Hallmark card because it says it on the Hallmark card. It must be true. So three days and three nights. So he was dead. You believe that was literal? I sure hope you do. You believe he was literally dead for three days and three nights? If you're going to believe he's dead, you have to believe what he says and that he resurrected on the third day or after the third night. Don't you believe that? Well, notice he predicates those literal things on the same literal things that he's reading from the Old Testament, that so there were literal three days and three nights in which a literal man was in the belly of a literal fish, for the same time period. He, he predicates his entire the most important part of his whole ministry on a book that a lot of us say is no big deal whether we believe it's true or not. Uh, Jesus did. Jesus certainly did. And, and let me just say this with in with respect to the teacher who said, and I don't know that it was even true that a teacher said this. It's probably some story that said that there's nothing in the ocean that can swallow you. So I got a degree in theology. I got a degree in fish. Or fish. I don't know if you know that or not. Some of you don't. Probably don't care. But my parents paid a lot of money for me to go through A&M. And so here's their, they're getting their money back right now. I'm about to tell you something. There are fish in the ocean that can and will swallow you. In particular, there is a fish that can swallow you and regurgitate you without much harm. It's called a whale shark. Notice the size of that Well, That's not a big one. They get up to 60 feet long. And they have a habit of, uh, they occupy themselves near the ocean's surface, and they have an extremely large mouth with very few and very small teeth. And the practice that they have is they swim very slowly on the surface, opening and closing their mouth, sucking in large volumes of water, and then spitting it back out, open and close, and open and close. In that process, they have sucked in actual human beings. This is a matter of history, not a bad Bible. So if you, uh, you have a problem theologically if you don't believe in the story of Jonah. You also have a problem biologically. There is a fish that can do it. In fact, like most sharks, again, back to my biology degree, most sharks are capable, including the whale shark, are capable of turning their stomachs inside out and regurgitating the stuff. That, I mean, he goes with his mouth open all the time. He's going to swallow stuff like boards and sticks and who knows what. Maybe a human here and there. You're going to have to spit them up because they don't digest like plankton, which is all that this guy... Uh, cares deep. anyway so there's your theology lesson short and there's your biology lesson let's get on to the book of Jonah who was Jonah well and what did he do let's take a look Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai and for many of us we think this is the first time in the Bible that Jonah's mentioned we're going to see this not true Jonah is well known this is just one of the things he's known for and fortunately it's all that we know him for because he makes a big boo-boo here The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. God says, here's his his call. Here's what you're to do for me, Jonah. Get up, get your coffee, and then get to the business of going to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So here's Jonah. He's, like I said, not the first time that we've been introduced to him. In fact, he's introduced in other places prior to this. In Second Kings chapter 14, verse 25, is a commentary on the side, sidelines of his life. It says he restored, God did, the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabus, so from all the way from the north to the south, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hepher, which is, by the way, a couple miles north of Nazareth where Jesus was raised, just to let you know... Geogra- geographically, where that's from, so so he's this faithful prophet in Israel. See, most of the time we don't think we think of Jonah. We think of unfaithfulness, don't we? That's not true for him. I would suggest that indications are he's faithful for most of his life. What, what you're seeing here is a small slice of him having a really couple bad days, if you will, maybe a bad month, maybe he smelled like fish for a while. But but really, mostly this guy was a faithful dude. He was a good prophet. God did great things through him, obviously here. God, God ministered continually through this man. So it shouldn't surprise us when we hear, for instance, that, that this man, the word of God, came to uh, Jonah, the son of Amittai. It shouldn't surprise us. This was a very common thing for him. It happened all the time. What's surprising is his reaction to it. He spends his whole career serving God and honoring God and saying everything that God tells him to say and doesn't hold back anything of what God has him to say until this event. So God says, drink your coffee, get your clothes on, go to Nineveh, verse 2. Now verse 3, Jonah rose up. Well, what are we thinking? If we lived in that day, we think Jonah is a man of God. Jonah's going to do what God says. Jonah has always done what God says. We can trust him. And then lo and behold, we find out that Jonah is just as human as the rest of us. We all have our limits. And this is Jonah's limit. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. If that were possible. That's crazy. How can you get away from God? But he's going to try. So he we went down to Joppa and found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, From the presence of the Lord. Something. What happened to this guy? I mean, all of a sudden, this guy is amazing. We can count on Jonah. He's awesome. Other people mess up, but not Jonah. Jonah's a faithful man of God. And yeah, we could say that, but something tripped him off. What was it? What happened? What was going on here? And so, um, surprising reaction to this. It's interesting. Jonah is got a great name. The name Jonah means dove. Now, why would you name a boy that? Because it was a common name for boys. Dove, dove is uh, with reference to a messenger of peace. It's literally the dove is just a symbol. Uh, what is the symbol of international symbol of peace? This dove carrying an olive branch in its beak. Do you know where that came from? The Book of Genesis. God floods the whole world for a whole year. They're in a boat. The boat finally settles. The land finally dries. Noah lifts the window of the ark and releases the dove, and the dove comes back a second time with a branch of an olive tree in its mouth, saying, effectively, it is peaceful now. The, the torment of the flood is over. And it's still considered today the symbol of peace. So they, they would name consistently their, their kids, sons and daughters, this name, dove. And so, first of all, his name means a messenger of peace. And then it says he secondly, the son of Amittai. Amittai is the word for truth in the Hebrew language. So let's put them together. He's a messenger of peace, and he's the son of truth. You can't, what a name, right? What a heritage. This is a guy that's going to knock it out of the park, and he did most of his career, except for this exception that we mainly know him for. Jonah was a faithful prophet, and it shouldn't surprise us if the word of God came to him. What's surprising is his reaction. So it turns out Jonah is a really good prophet and a really bad missionary. That's what it is. He does not want to go. And he does not want to talk to these people for a very specific reason. And like Jonah, listen, we turn from God because we aren't always going to like what he has for us to do. We run. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I won't be one of those. Welcome to the life of Jonah. Welcome. You're going to find out that as it was for Jonah, so it will be for you. Not necessarily smelling like a fish. But there are worse things in life than getting swallowed by a fish, I can assure you. You would rather exchange some of the troubles and trials you've been through because of your disobedience to God to a couple, three days in the belly of a fish, I can assure you. Some of you, it's been years, months, decades. You've suffered because you've disobeyed God and not armed with your life. And I have a simple recipe for it. Uh, Get spit up on land and get out and do what you're supposed to do. Life isn't over for you yet. And God has a purpose for you, and there's nothing that, that a little repentance can't fix But um, I hope it doesn't get as bad as it did for Jonah. So Jonah is a great story and a great study of God's call because it teaches us how difficult it can be at times to honor God with our lives. A man of God, an awesome guy, honoring God with his life. But it can, the call of God can get so rough, so diametrically opposed to what we think it ought to be. There's something in us that says, everything that God, when God calls me, it's going to be something that I want to do and I love to do. And I, I hope that's true. But I will say there are some exceptions in the scripture that say it's not. Moses, he didn't want to do what God called him to do. Jonah, Jonah does everything he possibly can to get out from under the requirements that God has for him. Arise and go to Nineveh is effectively God saying to him, uh, get up right now and get it going. But That's exactly the opposite of what he did. Tarshish, just to let you know where that is, 2,000 miles from where he is right now in Israel. 2,000 miles is a long way in a car, a long way even in a plane, try a boat. Tarshish is due west of Israel. It's on the other side of the Mediterranean. It was on the coast, somewhere on the coast. People argue whether it's on the Mediterranean coast or whether it's on the Atlantic coast of Spain, but nonetheless, it's all the way to the far opposite end of the Mediterranean Sea is where he's going. And and just so we know how how determined he is to to go the opposite way, uh, that's to the west 2,000 miles, 500 miles to the north and east is where Nineveh is. So it's not like he's just, you know, I'm just taking a a long way, no. No, he is determined to not go to Tarshish. By the way, when when in this culture in that day, when you said you were headed to Tarshish, it would be as effectively if I if you said to me, Where are you going this week, Pastor Bill? I said, I'm going to Timbuktu. There actually is a Timbuktu. I don't know if you know that or not. It's in the Moroccan desert. There actually is a location. But in our culture, what does that mean? Who knows? Long ways from here. So to say he got on a boat and went to Tarshish is like saying he's going to Timbuktu. Nobody had ever been there. Nobody had ever been back from there. Nobody he would grown up with had ever seen it. He just heard about it, and so whatever boat would get him there, that's the boat he's taking. So to be certain, absolutely certain, it wasn't just, a, oh, well, he got on the wrong boat or anything. No, he is running from God hard. So our first question needs to be, or among our first questions is, is, why? Why is he so upset? Well, let's give a little background here. First of all, when God says their wickedness has come up before me, he wasn't kidding. You talk about some wicked People, the Assyrians in particular, their capital city, Nineveh, which is in northern uh, Kabul, I believe, in northern Iraq today, on the, on the Tigris River. Talk about a wicked place. Talk about a wicked group of people. What, the way they conquered the world, the known world at that time, is that they set a precedent. What I mean is when they set out to conquer, they conquered the first, let's say, 25 cities. And what they did to the people in those cities set a precedent so that the next cities they conquered, they didn't have to fight as hard. What they would do is, is they would go in, and if you fought against them, they would besiege your city until they conquered you, and then they would kill every last one of you, man, woman, and child, in a very heinous way. They loved to decapitate. They made pyramids out of skulls. You know, with the American Indian, you and leave you alive. Not the Assyrians. Ninevites would take your head, and they would make these monuments out of them, glue their heads together, and make these huge pyramids in honors to their god or to their own self, they'd love to decapitate, they'd love to mutilate, they'd love to rip your tongue out, gouge your eyes out. They, uh, they would skin people alive if you fought them. Once they conquered you, it wasn't like okay, well, you know, Geneva Convention says, well, there's no Geneva Convention that says you can't be put in prison. They would do heinous things to you. They would skin you alive and they would take your skin and they would upholster their, their furniture with it. This is the, uh, welcome to the uh, the uh, late Damascus collection, the people we killed from Damascus, is the skins on this furniture or the skins on your bed. Can you imagine that? That's the kind of people. That's the kind of people that Jonah's being sent to. When it says, their wickedness has come up before me, he is not kidding. Like I said, they would set a precedent like that so that they would, you would hear what would happen in the last town, and when they come and march against your town, you would know you would, don't fight these people. If you didn't fight them, it was fine. They would just take you captive. They wouldn't hurt you. But if you fought them, they would do the same thing that they did to the previous people. So based upon that precedent, a lot of people just capitulated. We're not fighting them. Look what they do to people. Yeah, That's exactly right. So anyway, you would think with all that information, the reason why Jonah wasn't going to Nineveh is because, man, who would want to deal with these people? He's going to wind up dead. And I would just say to you, Jonah would have rather been killed by them. He would rather have gone up there and be assassinated by them and keep his reputation than to do what God actually turned out doing through Jonah in the process. See, Jonah is afraid of something, but it's not the Ninevites. He's actually afraid of what God might not do to them. See, Jonah has lived in a region in northern Israel in the Galilee area in which the Ninevites have already raided. They've already entered. They've already done the heinous things that I'm talking about. Women, children, men, old people. Uh, uh, Lebanon area, the the southern part of Syria, he had seen what they had done. He in no way, listen, what he feared the most was that perhaps he would go up there and preach a message to them and that they would repent and God would forgive them. That he absolutely couldn't stand. Kill me, flay me, upholster your furniture with me, but I am not going to be in heaven with the likes of these people. That's why he gets on a boat. Do you want to know why he gets on a boat? Because he does not want these people forgiven. He's afraid that even one of them God might have mercy on. Well, it turns out his fears were um, justified indeed. John, chapter 3, Jonah goes, by the way, he's not only a horrible uh, missionary because he doesn't want to go. He's a horrible preacher. He only preaches, he's a one-line sermon. It's an offense to all of us wonderful, well-skilled preachers who preach 30, 45 minutes and hold, you know, everybody waiting on bated breath. Please don't finish, Pastor Bill, right? Jonah preached one line, and the whole city of Nineveh, 125-some-odd thousand people, repent and come, come, come to faith in God. One line. Why did he do one line? Because he's hoping they don't turn. Maybe, maybe if I just give them the raw, the simple, the... Nasty, they'll think I'm a nut from southern southern city, and they're just gonna turn loose. Well, the Bible says they all repented in sackcloth and ashes from the king all the way down to the most lowly servant. The whole city repented, and guess what happened? Exactly what Jonah feared. God forgave them all. He forgave them all. Notice what he says here. Here, after after God's forgiven them all, notice what happens. He says, He says to God, Ah, oh, Lord God, was it not what, what I said when I was still in my own country? Why did I get on the boat? Because I was, I was scared to death that you would do the very thing that you've done. Forgive them. Therefore I fled previously to Tarsus. he said, for I know that you are, isn't that amazing, that you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, of course, he's relying on that for his own personal life. My own sins, I want you to be gracious and merciful. But those wicked Ninevites, kill them! Kill them all! I was scared to death that you would give to them what you've been giving to me, and so therefore I fled, he says. Slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents in doing harm. Isn't that amazing? What if we all had the same confidence in those characters, in the qualities of God? I mean, wow, What you're talking about the reverse. If you really had a heart for the things of God and you knew God to be this way, what kind of missionary would you be? I, I know that God will forgive you. That ought to be our position at all times. I know that God will have mercy on you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. You're alive and breathing. There's an opportunity for you to turn to the Lord and turn to his son Jesus and be forgiven. That's that's really what's true. That's the way we ought to preach it. That's the way we ought to live it. Jonah Jonah knew it so well that he refused to go. Because I'm not going to be in heaven with those Denebites. I don't want to ever see those people forgiven. I don't want to ever see them made right. Because of God's grace and merciful, because I know that you're a God who loves to, to, to forgive people as opposed to judge them. He knew exactly who God was. It wasn't like this guy was just a, an, uh, an imbecile who didn't understand who the, really the heart of God. No, he knew the heart of God so well he had seen God forgive people that he wouldn't have forgiven himself. And so he was scared to death that the same thing would be meted out to the Ninevites. And it comes to find out his fears were justified. Listen, God is, God is more gracious than Jonah was. God is more gracious than you are. God is more gracious than I am. God will forgive people that you will never forgive. And God will save people that you would never save. Why is it hard sometimes when God calls us to do stuff for that very reason, aren't there? Because He's not like you. And the stuff He calls you to do, it goes against your grain, goes against your culture, goes against your heart. Go against all this stuff, by the way, that none of it's godly. None of it is. And that's why sometimes when God calls, we want to run. Now, listen, know from just straight out from Jonah, know that God is calling us to love and reach out to committed sinners and people who live a completely aberrant lifestyles. Don't look at people like that and think, oh, you know, they're going to bust hell wide open. And they might, but don't think, oh, because they're oh, they're so bad. there's nothing we can do to reach them. Read the story of Jonah. A man that didn't want to go, a man that did everything he could to keep it from happening, and preached a sermon that he thought would be of the least effect. and God turned their hearts, and He forgave them. Don't doubt that can't, God can't work on people. Don't think the person's too far gone. Don't doubt it. Hear, what, hear, hear the heart of God as he speaks to Jonah in the final chapter, the final verses of, of this book. And should I not, he's saying, speaking to Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? You're worried about other stuff and, and the things that, that matter, the things that I'm concerned about, the heart of people, the lives of people, the eternity of people. And Jonah's just concerned about, like I said, he just doesn't want to be in heaven with those people. And, uh, you know, shame on him, shame on us when we think they're, they're too dirty to be saved. What if God treated you that way? They're too messed up, too far gone, too much sin, too, too, too wild of notions about things, theology and other things. Uh, there is no too much for God to reach. There isn't. And there's no too much for that which God to send us to either. Oh, that, they would never send us there. I guarantee you, Jonah thought that a lot. And then sure enough, he gets the call. He finds a boat. So when it comes to some of the most wicked abominations that are perpetuated in our culture, we may want to take a ship to Tarshish just like him. And let me just take you the word of advice from the word of God is don't get on that boat. It will not be a pleasure cruise. You will not like how it ends. You think it's bad where you're going. Jonah thought it was going to be horrible. How could it be possibly worse than for me to go to that country and hear people repent? To go to Tarshish would be better. Yeah, you think so. But he found out that he was wrong. And so will you be and so will I be if we try to get and go away from the things and the will of God. So God's call to us often will send us running because because we're not like him. Secondly, when we run from God, Satan is all too happy to provide transportation. Did you know that? (laughs) He loves it when you disobey. And he will fund your project. He will underwrite your cause. When you disobey, he will, he's this, talk about a search engine looking for a ways for you to get out. He's the guy. He's the one. You said in your heart you're going to disobey and dishonor God with your life. You will find a ship. Notice in verse 3, that's what exactly what he does. And sometimes when we, we justify our actions by saying, but, but I found an open door. I hear that all the time. Pastor, how could it be so bad because there was an open door? Well, the reason why there was an open door, sweetie, is because you pulled on every handle in the house. You yanked on every window because the door that God told you to go through, you were determined not to go through, and, and, and it is true. Sometimes be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. You continue to run, 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 and you think uh, maybe in the head of Jonah, and this is reading between the lines, he's thinking, you know, I'll run from God, but there won't be a ship when I get down there, you know, because God does keep that kind of stuff from happening because he's sovereign, and he is. But he also is a gentleman, and you want to do what you want to do, and God will say, don't do it. And you'll say, I'm going to do it. He'll say, don't do it. I'm going to say, I'm going to do it. I don't do it. And God will say, I'm going to do it. And God will say, okay. Some of the worst words you'll hear from him. Okay. Knock yourself out. And that never ends well. Never does. It's a dangerous thing, listen, to justify our actions because things seem to fall into place. Satan, like I said, is underwriting those kind of things. He's funding them. He's organizing them. He's your search engine to get that kind of thing done because that is his bottom line. So listen, all of us bunch of Jonas here, a course of action isn't necessarily right because you found a ship. It isn't necessarily right. And, and you say, well, I just wasn't sure. No, here's my experience. I was always sure. I just taught myself into not being sure. But I knew what God wanted me to do. I always knew it, and then when things started going south... As I headed down on my ship, when they started going south, I knew exactly why. Just like Jonah. He wakes up and says, they say, why is this storm happening? I can tell you exactly why, he says. We're not reading it today. I can tell you exactly why. Because I'm running from the presence of God. God told me to do something. I didn't do it. And they were like, well, you big dummy, why didn't you do that? Well, I shouldn't have, but I'm sorry. Throw me overboard. So they do. <laughs> we're not reading that today. We're going to get to that next time. Just about any time you run from God, if you run hard enough, you will find a ship. Beware. Beware. You're disobeying God as the bottom line of Satan's business. He will provide support for your need. And then a final thing running from God is always downhill. When you run from God, it's always down, it's never up. Downhill, but not in a good sense. Notice verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee from Tarshish, flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down, notice, to Joppa. Say, well, that's just a directional thing. Yeah, it is, but it uses the word way too much here. He went down to Joppa, and then he found a ship which was going to Tarshish and paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. A little bit later, we're going to see he's going to go down into the water, because they chunk him overboard. Then he's going to go down into the fish. And then watch this. Chapter 2, the fish takes him further down. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. What does that mean? The bottom of the ocean. So, by the way, if you're on the run from God, take a good look at that. That's where you're going. You're going to the bottom. You're not going up. You're not going up. I don't know what what inclines you to take the direction. If you're like me, what inclines me to take that direction is because I think I know better what's best for me. That's why Jodah didn't go. He didn't go, to, he didn't go for, at first to the end of it because he thought that nothing could be worse than doing that. So I'm going to choose something maybe bad, but not as bad as that. What God's calling me to do is worse. God doesn't know. Is that what you really want to say? Well, I would never say that, but you act that way. What's the difference? You might as well say it. God doesn't know how to make me happy. God doesn't know what's best for me. God doesn't know what, makes, what, what pleases me. God doesn't know how to fulfill my life. Really? Is that what you're saying when you're not doing what he tells you to do? That's exactly what you're saying. That's what he hears. Well, I would never say that to God. Too late. You've already said it. It's exactly what he says to God. You don't know the best thing for me. I do. I know what's best. Jonah is happy, right, temporarily because he's found himself a ship. He goes to town and takes himself a little nap. But it's not going to be a pleasure cruise. The issue, listen, with Jonah, as it is with us, is never with Nineveh. His issue is always with God. It's, an, it's never with, it's, an, it's always true, the same is true for us. It's never an issue of what we are or are not doing. It's always an issue of our obedience to him, our Lord, his lordship over our lives, our dependence upon him for everything. Don't say you're dependent upon him for everything and not doing what he says, because you're not. You're not depending on him to bless you in that course that he's called you to? Oh, I would never do that. Well, then stop doing what you're doing. Correct your course. We, we run because we think we're happier if we do, and Jonah did, and boy, was he ever Wrong. We were afraid and thought. We couldn't be happy in the direction God has for us. And so I'm going to be happier. I'm better able to bless myself than God is able to bless me. I'm better able to make myself happy than God is able to. I'm better able to fulfill my life than God is able to. Really? Really? Out of the will of God? Listen. You will not be happy long. You will not be happy long. I don't know if you any of you remember the name of Dr. Mortimer Adler. Dr. Mortimer Adler, two pennies for anybody who knows who he is. He's a philosophy guy. He actually, interesting, he was Jewish, born Jewish, remained Jewish all his life. But he is considered to be a Catholic scholar. I don't know how you get those. I don't know how you get those together. He was a Catholic scholar, but he was Jewish. So um, anyway. Dr. Mortimer Adler actually was a great philosopher, a very powerful man, passed away uh, two centuries, two decades ago, Uh, famous for many things, famous for a particular situation in which he was in a discussion group with other eggheads like himself, and he disagreed with their position on certain things, and he kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, and finally he just got mad, and he stormed out of the room, and he slammed the door behind him when he left, and there was, of course, a dead silence in the room because of the tension there, and to break the tension, someone said, well... I mean, I guess he's gone, and the lady who owned the house said, "No, he's not." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "That was a closet that he went into." <laughs> what a what a clear picture of what it's like to run from God. What what happens when you run from God is, yeah, you think you're getting somewhere, but actually, you're just confining yourself to yourself. It doesn't work, never does. Didn't work for Jonah, all alone inside of a fish, three days and three nights. Crazy. And the same will be true for us. There is no exception to that. God has a mission and a purpose for us. The, the, the great news of Jonah, if you're, one of the, if you're a Jonah here, and we've all been Jonahs and we all stand a chance to be a Jonah at any given time, the great news is that not only does God forgive and, 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 and encourage and love the repentance of an aberrant group of people like the Ninevites, he also forgave and gave a second chance to a Jonah. So sometimes we get so confident in our position in God, and we should all be about that, but we think that there's, you know, my position in God means that I'm, 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 I'm immune to bad stuff. And yeah, um, sort of, if you do what he says. But if you're determined to do not do what he says, then God being a great father to us is going to make sure that his children are disciplined, in many cases, publicly. Like I said, I think Jonah lived probably 30 years of ministry. And you're looking at one year of his life. And it's the only thing we know about it. He made a public example out of it. You don't think your father would do that for you? Yeah. Don't try him. Don't try him. When asked, you would bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we consider the things that God has said to us this morning. Running from God, you can do that. A lot of people have. It doesn't turn out well. I can tell you where that ship is going. You're headed into a storm. You find yourself in a storm today because of your disobedience to God. The good news is, is that God loves, loves when people turn back to him. You know Christ as personal Savior, and yet you're not honoring with your life. You're not really seeking Him. You know He's got a call for you. He's got a direction for you. And yet you're convinced somehow, maybe not consciously but subconsciously, that you know what's best for you, not really God. May I encourage you to repent of that, turn from that, and turn to a God who forgives, who loves to forgive, who loves to turn away from wrath and uh, judgment, And instead, give mercy and grace. Have you forgotten what that is? Forgotten how great that is? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you're a God of second chances. You're a God who loves to see even the worst people repent. Even the worst. Even the most disobedient. To find grace and mercy. You throw a party in heaven when that happens. It is not in your heart to judge. You would much rather forgive. Thank you, God, that your forgiveness is abundant, that it is available today. I pray, God, that we would take uh, advantage of it right now. God, we lift these things up to you. Thank you for this time we've had together over your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.